Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Dave Lee, so without further ado, here he is. Good morning. Hopefully all of you are doing well this morning as we um, begin the third week of Advent. Um, and as we come close to celebrating Christmas, let me read a passage for you. It's found in John chapter 14. Verse 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. As I lead us into a time of prayer, as we approach Christmas with the hustle and bustle of this season, let's remember what Christ has said, that peace He leaves with us, and peace, he is here with us. Take a moment as I lead us into a time of prayer. God, as we come before you this morning, how quickly we forget those words that you gave to your people. How quickly we forget the only reason for this season. And how quickly we forget to remember and to celebrate the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The stillness of this hour, Lord God, we come before you asking that the peace that transcends all understanding would be here helping us, Lord God, to be still before you and to be thankful, Lord God, for the peace that was shown upon the cross. God, we ask that as we go throughout this period, that even in the busyness, in the hustle and the bustle, that you would draw us, Lord God, to your word, that you would draw us to the cross, draw us to our knees, helping us to be still before you, to be reminded that you are the God of peace. And God, some of us have had a pretty rough year. Loss of a loved one. Loss of a job. with other tumultuous things happening, with a chaotic world. But God, we ask and pray that you would reign on high and that, God, that your peace that reigns in us would be shown to the world. And that, God, that you are the Almighty. So God, as we continue on with this service, we ask and pray that your Holy Spirit will continue to let our hearts be still before you, that you would open up our ears to be attentive to you, and allow your spirit to move in this place. So God, we thank you. Thank you for who you are.
And all these things we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. You guys hear me okay on this thing? How is it being back in this room? Having flashbacks to June of 2009 when we moved in here. And for those who haven't been with us that long, when we first came to the high school out of Alliance Fellowship Church, this is the room we met in. And uh, just kind of, it's interesting for me being back in here. I just have these fresh memories of what it was like when everything was brand new. And I still see nearly a year and a half later that uh, there are still so many people faithfully coming out week after week, transforming a high school building into the place where we worship God. And uh, it's great to be back here and mark the passage of time, but also the ongoing faithfulness of God. And uh, so my, my thoughts are kind of swirling this morning. I also want to just, I normally won't do this, but uh, I, I want to ask for a personal prayer request. Um, Jeannie for years has wrestled with migraine headaches, but lately they seem to be getting far more intense and far more frequent. Uh, some days it's almost debilitating. So we're going to have her go see a doctor this week, but if you would pray for Jeannie, I'm getting a little concerned at why it's happening more and more. And so would you just remember to keep her in your prayers this week? I would be grateful if you do that. Uh, I'm a little pensive because all week I've been thinking about the end of life and about um, retirement and how we exit the scene from this earthly life. And that's, and that's not just because I'm thinking about that stuff or because I'm going through a midlife thing, but uh, the passage we're coming to is the final passage and the final message in our series on the book of Acts. And as the book of Acts comes to a close, um, so does Paul's life, really. Now, the book ends a little abruptly. It doesn't actually tell us about the details of the final days of the Apostle Paul, but we know clearly from the way it ends that these are the final years in this important Christian's life. He had survived a very harrowing journey to get to Rome, where he would stand trial before Caesar himself, who at that time was Nero. And, you know, um, after all these incredible adventures, he arrives there. He's placed under house arrest. Tradition tells us that after that, he was acquitted from his case, and he was set free for maybe a couple years, at least according to most scholars. This is what happened. Is, uh, he was set free. He did some more ministry, some more church planting. He may have even gotten as far as Spain and the Iberian Peninsula and then came back to Rome finally and was tried again a couple years later. And this time he was convicted of crimes against the, 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 uh, the throne of Rome and he was put to death. And he died a martyr's death quite likely in the year 67 A.D., um, and, and so this is the Apostle Paul's story, and it's coming to a close. And I just want to read for you and preach out of the last two verses of the book of Acts. Normally, I won't build a sermon around two verses, but these two verses, they, they leave us with a kind of pregnant pause at the end of the book of Acts. And they've got me churning in my mind about some thoughts that I want to share with you this morning. So here's what it says. He lived there two whole years at his own expense. And welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. I see in those two simple verses as the life of Paul is drawing to a close imminently, uh, some things that I want to talk about uh, as we all consider the ending of our own lives. Now, listen, I recognize the fact 
that for many of us, we're at a time in our lives where that seems so far away. If you're in your 20s, retirement, um, old age, passing away, those things seem like they're a million years in the future. But as somebody who has recently reached near the mid-40s, it happens overnight. If you're not thinking about how you'll draw your earthly life to a close now, when it matters to you, you'll find that you can't make some of the decisions that you only could have made in your younger years. And so I realized that thoughts like this are harder for some of us to identify with than others. But I'm going to ask all of you to really pay attention to these words because I believe that they're going to help us get ready for the end of our own lives. I heard John Piper once preach and he said in a very provocative statement, the main job of every pastor is to help his sheep prepare to die well. I said, what? You're not supposed to preach or a concert. No, everybody is going to go through life. They're going to be travails. But the important thing is not the ups and downs along the way, but finishing strong. Being ready when we leave this earth to still say that Jesus Christ rules as Lord and he is going to be here long after I'm gone. And this life mattered because I knew him. I lived for him. Preparing to die well is one of the chief goals of every pastor for his congregation. I'm still chewing on how much I I resonate with that, but I want to, out of that spirit, give you this message this morning. And the first thing I see that I think needs to be said is we as followers of Jesus Christ, as we contemplate the end of our lives, need to be committed to keep on running. Some of our friends at this church recently came back from, from out west running a marathon and if you think about it, a marathon is really just a sick thing for a human being to do, right? I mean, who does that? And who pays their own money to travel to another city to torture their physical bodies? And yet I see the value of it because it's, a, it's not just a physical activity. It's a metaphor for life, isn't it? I think if you still have the physical body to be able to do this, even if you have to walk across the finish line, a marathon will be a worthwhile goal to set before you pass from the earth. We need to be committed as Christians to keep on running to the end. I think that the way we plan to finish a thing says a lot about the kind of people we are and what we truly valued and believed while we were, we were alive. I think everybody starts well. Everybody's excited. excited. Isn't that true? On the first day of school, isn't everybody excited to have their new school clothes, their new crisp notebooks, their new unhighlighted textbooks? But it's not really how you start a semester that matters. It's the way you finish it. And I think it's so important that even though you feel like you're in the first day of school when, life, when it comes to life, that you keep in view how you intend to finish it. If you think about the traditional American picture of retirement, here's what that picture looks like. You work really hard while you still have strength so that you can accumulate wealth enough that when you can no longer work for a living and earn an income, Your money will do the work for you, and you'll have enough to live on even after you stop having a job. Now, with some of that money, the idea is you buy your dream house, or more likely, you build it. That house which you've always wanted to live in, not too big, not too small, kind of modest, but everything just the way you've always wanted. The house you want to take your last breath in. 
And then maybe in that house, you, 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 you leave all your stuff and you go and travel and see the world while you still have strength. It's one of the things I'm actually looking forward to is when our kids are gone in their own lives, they're paying their own bills. I would like to go with Jeannie to see the world. I've seen so much of it without her. And I, I hope that God will grant us the blessing of seeing a lot of things together. And so that's part of the picture, isn't it? And then, of course, a lot of rest. I mean, you get a porch swing and you actually use it in those years. You have a porch swing when you're younger and you just walk past it every day while you're frantically running from one thing to another. And then maybe you find some other friends and you spend your days golfing or maybe if it's more your speed, you, you spend your days fishing or maybe you get a little plot of land by your house and you just spend your days gardening. And everything's quiet and peaceful and restful and you eat as much and whatever you'd like and you don't care if your midsection's getting bigger because who's really looking at you at that age anyway, right? And so you've got all these thoughts of like, you know what, this is it. We're coming in for the landing. We're coasting. And it's such a beautiful, idyllic picture of bringing life to a close. It's compelling, isn't it? In fact, it's the picture that so many of us in this room are motivated by. It's why we work so hard now so that we can stop working one day. Now, as attractive as that picture is, I have a really, really big problem with that picture. And the reason I have such a problem with that picture, it's not that my flesh doesn't want it. Okay, I, do, I want it really badly. I would love to do nothing but just golf and fish. You can take the gardening. But golfing and fishing and maybe reading. Wow, what a life. Being able to go see all the movies dur- during matinee hours. Wow, what a life. And on top of that, getting the seniors discount, right? But you know what's wrong with that picture? That in the years where we have some of the most to offer to the world, it seems to want to make a priority out of turning inward and growing into a life of indulgence and rest. At a time where we still have so much fight left in us, so much gift left to give away, it tries to cut the legs off of people and say, you are good for nothing more than to enjoy yourself and die quietly. Another problem I have with that is it frames work as some kind of horrible plight which we need to escape one day. It frames work as a curse when, in fact, before mankind sinned, before all that trouble entered the world, there were only two institutions in the human life. One was marriage and the other one was work. And neither one of them was regarded as negative things, as a ball and chain or a curse. They were both regarded as among the greatest gifts God could have given to the human race. Think about how those two precious things are portrayed in our culture today. What young 20-something man talks about marriage as anything other than, oh, no way, dude, uh uh-uh. I got commitment issues. There's no way I want to get married. Marriage is looked upon as a negative thing by so many in our culture. And, uh, and even beating that, I think, is work. Who is looking forward to tomorrow morning? Who can't wait to get up at 5.30 in the morning to start your car, maybe melt some of the ice, scrape that stuff off the windows, get into work, working for a boss you think is incompetent and rude, and, well, not no one on the church staff, of course, but I mean, everybody else, Right? How many of you can't wait for Monday to come? And I think in some part, it's because for whatever reason, we may maybe have chosen our careers poorly on the basis of really wrong, unhealthy motivations. Maybe we've just bought this idea in American culture that work stinks 
And the fact that we have to do it is a curse that someday we will escape in our retirement years. I got to tell you, I think that for those who follow Jesus Christ, there is a much more beautiful, powerful, compelling picture of the way our, our lives are to draw to a close. Now, if you're at retirement age, don't feel guilty that you have retired. What I'm saying is there, it doesn't mean, retirement does not mean that we become human mushrooms and sit still until death comes for us. There is a way to finish life that is consistent with the way that we've lived it all along. Look at how Paul spent the last few years of his life. For two years, he lived at his own expense and he welcomed all who came to him. I don't know about you, but when I'm really old, I don't think that's going to be my natural heart. It's like everybody just come over. Even now, as I I reach the age of 43, it's not as compelling to me to think about all these people coming to my house and cleaning up and getting ready and all that. It's not as compelling to me to get a phone call in the middle of the night and I rush out of my car to go rescue somebody because I'm starting to slow down a little bit. And so I'm amazed that for Paul, his heartbeat, even in his old age, was come on in. My door is open, my heart is open, and he proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance, and this is the way he finished off his years on earth. It's hardly a life of leisure and rest, but it marks the way that he's always lived. And you know, I've shared this graph with a number of you in conversation. Now I'm going to save a little time, give us a shared vocabulary, I'm going to share this graph all at once with you. If you're an engineer, that looks awfully technical or something, right? But this is a graph of our lives. And as you think about it, with the passage of time, our energy is on a downward slope. Now, each of us have met somebody who's older and completely spastic and hyper, and we're like, I want to be like that when I get to that age. But the norm is, as we get older, we make funny sounds when we get up from a chair. I'm making those sounds already. Sounds something like this. I never made that sound before getting up from a chair and I make it all the time now. And you should hear the sound that I and people like Chris Kim make when we're sitting down at a chair. So energy, it's clear, it's indisputable. It starts to decrease over the course of earthly life. But as time increases, the good news is wisdom, experience, maturity, the inner gifts we have to give away are spiking as we get older. We've seen so much. We've learned so much, as much from our own foolishness as from the things God has shown us from externally. And so over time, there's this inversely proportional relationship between energy and wisdom in our lives. And the interesting thing is in the first part of our lives, which I would measure as maybe between birth to like early 30s, everything's about frantically running hard, punching into the air. Just We contribute to the world through the sweat of our brows when we're younger. We're hyper. We're trying so hard to forge our place in the world, and that's the gift we have to give. And that's why I'm so glad that so many of the guys on the trailer team are young enough to be out in the cold and not want to question the meaning of life. If I were on the trailer team, I might become Buddhist. You understand what I mean? Because we're talking about like 6.30 a.m. They're out there in the morning getting their cars ready to come here, and I just don't know how they do it week after week. So when you're younger, that is what you're giving away. So much of it is just brute force, I will work. Many of us in this church are in this zone where I call it life's sweet spot. It's that maybe 10, 15 year period of our lives 
uh, where our, our, how should I put this? Our wisdom and our energy are going to peak together. We have as much energy almost as we did when we were really young, but our wisdom is increasing. And for those years, these are the building years where we try to lay a foundation that will define our lives. We try to make that contribution that will leave the world significantly different and better than when we came into it. And these are important years, which is why it excites me so much that so many people in this zone of life attend this church and we get to talk about life and the kingdom of God together. And it is my earnest hope that none of you will waste these magical golden years chasing empty things. These are the years where you punch the world in the face and leave an imprint for the glory of God. These are the years where you say honestly, look, I showed up at this place. I was here. For the sake of God. But some of us, and increasingly more of us, will enter this last third of life. Where the energy is lacking. God is saying you have so much to give away. If you think that this last third of your life is to be spent simply on a golf course or on a fishing boat, you have totally missed the value of everything I have poured into you. For the first two thirds of your life. These can be some of the most active years of our lives. If we can change the picture of how life's progress is supposed to go. And so I'm going to just say it in boldness. It is my hope and prayer that we at this church will shatter forever. The false picture of retirement that American culture wants to throw at us. And to say that it is really a regrettable denial of the value of a human life. To say that all you got to do at the end is play and wait for the angel of death to come visit your house. Nothing could be further from the truth. You have so much you're going to be able to give away if you would stop building your life's trajectory towards the goal of resting until you die. And you know what's so beautiful about that? For those of us who will obey the Lord in this... An amazing eternal rest is coming. I think that's exciting. I think the reason the hope of heaven is not so exciting for Americans is because we've tried and almost succeeded at building heaven on this earth. For so many people, retirement is almost like heaven, or at least the way they pictured it. And maybe that's why it's hard to get excited about the amazing entrance into our eternal rest Because we spent the last 10 years just vegging. I really hope that for us at Harvest, that will not be the picture. Now, don't get me wrong. I hope you're socking away something. And I hope that you are planning for the retirement years. Because you can't live in the American system very easily without doing some of that. But I hope your internal picture of what your life will be like will be that you will run until the race is over. You know, I've often said this, and I'll just say it again, because this is such a core value for me. When I watch something like the Olympics and I see a person who can still walk after the sprint is over, I don't respect that person at all, man. I think if you're going to train for four years to run one race, you should need an oxygen tank when that thing is done. You should leave everything on the track. If you can even stand, you should have used that energy to run, man. The way I look at it is when there is a race and God has called us to win, you run Until you cross the finish line. You don't see someone ahead of you and just go, oh, all right, all right. 
you run. I love the football player who chases the wide receiver all the way to the end zone, even though you know he's not going to catch up. I love the spirit that says, I will run until the, the guy blows the whistle. May this be the heart of everybody who has passed through this church, is that we will commit ourselves to run until the race is done. Now, I see a second thing here that is important to say. And that is, if we're going to live this way, we're going to have to learn in a profoundly new and powerful way how to trust in God. I realize that the challenge to keep running till the end, it's easier for some of us to hear than others because we've got a lot of years left. But listen, even to a relatively young church, you need to know that American society is built around casting fear about the future and telling us that it's our responsibility to secure our own futures. Now, I'm not advocating irresponsibility, reckless living. I'm not saying live in such a way that you will be a disproportionate burden to everybody else in your later years. But what I'm saying is even if you have six 401k accounts, even if you have every flavor of IRA and you've got a giant big nugget of gold buried in your backyard, and who knows what, even if you have all of that, the reason for your confidence about the future cannot rest in those things or you will never, ever know what peace feels like. Even in your twilight years, you will live with some measure of fear and worry and uncertainty. If your confidence is built on security that you have created around yourself, I think it's natural for us to worry because like the graph showed, as time goes, our energy is on a downward path. And so as we grow older, we realize that our ability to work hard and earn a living and have people pay us for what we're doing is diminishing in some ways. There is this ageism in our culture that favors the young, the ones who can jump and touch the rim, that kind of thing. And so it's natural for us to worry when society doesn't want to give me money just to be alive anymore. How will I take care of myself and my loved ones? It's normal to have some concern about that. But let me tell you, the real security for us comes from the knowledge, the sure knowledge that God himself meets the needs of those who walk faithfully after him. When I look at Paul's life, I'm astounded by the amount of faithful provision that God poured into Paul's life. Now, we're just going to start with just the most recent parts that we've looked at in his life. Do you realize from the time he was arrested and needed to go to Rome, we see such an amazing picture of God's faithful provision. Do you realize he survived a storm at sea that lasted two solid weeks? I want you to think about 14 days of that. That's from the movie A Perfect Storm. That's, that movie kept me awake at night for months. That is one of the scariest things I could think of is being in the middle of that. And then Kevin Costner's movie The Guardian cost me another couple months of sleep. Dark, stormy seas for two weeks. And God delivers him through that. And then they, they finally see land, but the ship get, runs aground on a sandbar. It's dashed to pieces. They survive a shipwreck. They all float aboard on, on little planks, and they get to shore. And then once he's on shore, he survives an encounter with unknown people on the island. And then a viper comes and attaches itself to his hand. It's a very poisonous snake. And I, I, like I told you last week, if you could see the pictures of the people who have been bitten by these poisonous vipers, it's truly disturbing. You have to pretty much amputate some of those limbs. And God allows him to survive all of that. He finally makes it to Rome. 
And it's incredible with the understatement that Luke uses. He goes, and then we got to Rome. It's like, oh, yeah. After this incredible adventure, he finally gets to Rome. But when he gets there, you have to remember, he's a prisoner. He's not a tourist in the capital city of Rome. He is a prisoner. And in fact, even though he was given an amazing amount of freedom, he lived his entire two years in shackles, literally chained to a guard. Now, I don't know if that would be the greatest job. That's probably what they used to punish Roman soldiers. You go and be chained to the prisoner in his house all day. But lucky is the prisoner who is chained to the Apostle Paul 24-7. Imagine what an education in life that young soldier would have gotten. And here's the amazing thing. Prisoners aren't supposed to have options. They're not supposed to be allowed to live in a rented house or to entertain company or to speak freely of their own convictions, especially when the reason they were on trial is because of things that they were saying about faith and about the world and about the king. And yet God showed his favor to this life. It was to do, but when he finally gets there, he gets there as an inmate, a prisoner. Now, wouldn't that make you question the goodness of God? Wouldn't that make you question, God, I've wanted this for so long, and now that I'm finally here, you bring me under these circumstances I can barely handle. But what God shows in his faithfulness is, Paul, don't let your shackles fool you. If you are here for me, nothing will stand in the way of you being free to do everything I've assigned you to do. So there it is. And this, this Paul story reminds me of Billy Graham. You guys know, know Billy Graham. Um, where is it? That's a picture of him taken about three years ago. Mr. Graham, a lot of people call him Billy. I don't know him like that, so I'm just going to call him Mr. Graham. He's pretty old now. He's too frail to travel. He was the one who started the Lausanne World Congress, but he could not be there in person because there's no way he can travel that far anymore. And so right now he's in a period of his life where there is so much for him to give away, but he can barely leave his house. You might think Billy Graham is done with earthly ministry. But I've listened to the preaching of people, and I've even personally met people who in the last year or two visited Mr. Graham in his house. And they said, though he was too frail to leave, getting a private audience in his home in Asheville, North Carolina, was for them one of the most transforming and life-changing encounters in their earthly lives. They said, it's amazing to talk to somebody who has seen so much of God's faithfulness that when he talks to you about the kingdom of God, about the reality of life, he's not troubled by the small dramas that have completely paralyzed us in our youth. He sees God in a way that is so profound that only someone sitting at that place in his life can open that world to us. And it's amazing to me that in years when others would write him off as being helpless and no longer of value to the kingdom, God is using Mr. Graham to still create revolutions in the hearts and ministries of people who thought that they could not see anything new under the sun. Do you realize that whatever you think has shackled you, whatever you think is going to debilitate you, even in the twilight years of your life, if you will serve God, nothing will stand in your way. It also says he lived there two years at his own expense. But remember, he's a penniless prisoner. At his own expense, where is this guy getting any money? How is a prisoner who survived the shipwreck, he's like, darn, my wallet's floating somewhere off the the coast of Malta near the, the wreckage of a ship. You know how he gets his money? 
Because I've, I've wrestled with that question, where does Paul get his help? And the amazing answer to that question is Paul gets his help from this small army of people which God raises up to minister to his needs. He had spent his whole life caring for others. And in these twilight years, there are young men and women who counted a personal privilege to help bear his burden because they know that as they do it, God is still using this man and just spending time with him is a gift to them. It's amazing when you read in the the later letters, Paul wrote a lot during these years. And in some of the letters he wrote, he mentions, especially in Colossians, he mentions all these people who voluntarily became prisoners under house arrest with him. The cool thing is because they weren't actually under arrest, they could walk in and out of Paul's house as often as they liked. And they went and did fundraising. They got jobs. They went to the market. And they took care of Paul's needs at a time when he could not meet his own needs so that he could legitimately say, at my own expense, I've lived for these two years under house arrest and I've ministered to the people of Rome in the name of Jesus Christ. He mentions Aristarchus and Mark. Remember Mark? Do you remember who Mark was? He was the guy who ditched them because he was homesick for mommy on their first mission trip. And Paul and Barnabas got into such a fight over this guy that they split company over it. And yet in these later years, it's Mark who was such a help to him. And Paul loved the fact that this Mark had come around and become a faithful servant of God. He mentions a guy named, what a great name to have, Jesus, the one they called Justice was also there helping him. He also mentions Epaphras, and he also mentions Dr. Luke and Demas. And by the way, Dr. Luke was a very strategic person to have along because Luke was an incredible historian. If Luke had not been watching everything carefully and writing it all down, we would not have the book of Acts. We would have no idea what happened. And so he's got all these people around him who are serving him in his latter years when he's penniless and broke. Let me also tell you something else. He is no spring chicken. Paul, around this time of his life, was pretty close to 58, which is today, I mean, 58 is nothing anymore, right? 58 is the new 35, I think. I mean, with healthcare the way it is, I see 58-year-old people on the basketball court blocking my shots, all right? And, And so we understand that we're not talking about 58 in today's years, but Paul lived in a time of human history where the average adult life expectancy was anywhere between 35 to around 42 years old, depending on who you listen to. So already, he has outlived the average human being by around like 15 years. That means he is old for his day, old beyond old. His body should have been giving out. It should have been making all kinds of noises and and things should have been snapping. And yet what we see is to the very end, Paul is able to run. Isn't it amazing? It's counterintuitive. You think that when your body is getting frailer, you can extend your life by resting, by sitting still, taking it easy, soaking in the hot tub at lifetime and not moving. But what's amazing is scientists are discovering the exact opposite is true. What happens to your tools when they sit in your garage for years unused? Recently, I pulled out a circular saw that I had in my garage. And after I blew out all the cobwebs and stuff, I was like, is this thing even going to fire up? When it's used, it stays fresh. In fact, a recent study in the Journal of Occupational Health Psychology says that when they tracked a bunch of people who continued to be employed after their retirement years, 
they experienced 70%, 17% fewer major diseases than those who just golfed and fished and sat around. I think what he's trying to show us is that if you will run to the end, you will have every last bit of strength you need to complete your assignment on this earth. We need to learn to trust in our God. Would you permit me to make one last very brief observation? And that is we also are responsible not just for finishing our race, but for passing the baton to someone else. Do you realize that life following Christ is not a sprint for the gold, but it's a relay? And none of us, until Jesus comes back, gets the ultimate goal, the ultimate medal. Excuse me. The goal of this race is to run so faithfully that you give our team a little advantage as you pass the baton and as you breathe your last. There better be people on this planet who have you to thank for giving them an assignment, a sense of calling, all the equipping and inspiration they need so that they can build on the shoulders that you've given them. You lay a foundation, you tell them, don't start everything over. We have labored, you complete this. I think the Great Wall of China is one of the most incredible physical human stories that illustrates the way that life in Christ should work. Do you realize that in some families, literally working like slaves, it took some of these families for four generations built one small hundred-yard section of the wall. That a man would die saying, look, I built, son, look, I built from here to like here my whole life. That's my life's work. Don't start over somewhere else. Start here and build to there. And for four generations, a family faithfully building a wall. That to me is the picture of life in Christ. Don't just compete to win the race for yourself. It is in our twilight years that God will call us to pour everything we have into the emerging generation. We have the privilege of parents of already beginning that process now. Your children are not too young, even if they're just laying there like bags of mush in a stroller. Going, I'm telling you right now, even now through your prayers, through your every single day's life, you're, you're putting your hand on the forehead, blessing them, the way you discipline them, the way you teach them, the way you show them about how grace and forgiveness and love are all exercised. You are shaping another generation and the passing of the baton begins now. Did you notice in a race, they don't just stick out the baton right at the end. It's as they're approaching the next runner, the hand's already extended. Our children and the next generation of emerging leaders is watching us and we have an incredible opportunity to pass that baton. Paul did it by surrounding himself and ostensibly was to get material help. But little did they know that they were receiving more from Paul than they were giving to him. If I could go to Asheville, North Carolina, and I tried for years now, don't get me wrong, I pulled every possible connection I had. I personally know Billy Graham's brother-in-law, and so I'm like, please, can you somehow? He goes, I would, but I get 15,000 requests like that a month. You're way in the back of the line. I can't get you there. If I could have 15 minutes with Billy Graham, just go tell me something about your broad view of the kingdom of God. And I'm not saying he's like God, like Jesus. I'd rather spend that 15 minutes with Jesus. But let me tell you, on this earth, there are a few men I would rather spend 15 minutes with just to go speak into my life. I want to see God through your eyes for 15 minutes because you've seen so much of him on this side of death. He poured himself into the next generation. 
And I'm going to tell you right now, that's something I'm awakening to. My mentor, uh, Dr. Peter Cha, is really helping me see this. That now that I've hit a certain point in my life, one of the greatest ministries I'm going to have is pouring into the lives of the next group of leaders coming up. It's why we've increased our commitment to train the interns at our church. That's why more and more, if I travel at all, it's going to be to minister to ministers. To really pour whatever little God's put in my cup, I don't want to hold it there. I want to give it away before I go. And another way that Paul really passed the baton is during his imprisonment years, as he was getting ready to die, he wrote so much. And some of those letters he wrote, so thoughtful, the kind of letters you can't write unless death is right there around the next corner. That kind of thing makes you pensive and thoughtful and reflective. And he wrote some of those letters, and they're so preserved to us, uh, for us in the Bible. The book of Ephesians and Colossians, Philippians, and Philemon, those are all books that he wrote during this imprisonment. And they capture for us some of the things a godly man has on his heart as he's getting ready to pass from this world to the next. I think it's one of the greatest ways we can also bless the next generation is to start putting to paper and pen those things which God has poured into us. And it's my prayer that before my strength fails me, if God's shown or taught me anything, that he'll grant me the grace to write some of it down and leave it so that even after my earthly body is finished, my ministry and impact can still keep going. And I'm going to tell you right now, your children are also living letters that you're leaving behind on this planet. They are watching you, and they are your ongoing living testimony to what your life was and what you saw and believed while you were here. Let me conclude with a piece from one of those letters which Paul wrote actually in his second Roman imprisonment. This was just before he faced the gallows or however else he may have been martyred for his faith. And he wrote it to his spiritual son, Timothy. And in 2 Timothy chapter 4, in these very familiar words, he wrote to him, For I am already being poured out like a drink offering. The time has come for my departure. Listen to what he says. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. If you can say that just before you pass, it is the grace of God. Make no mistake, right now, and I began the service addressing, speaking to some of you who are really struggling to be in this place right now. Right now, make no mistake about it. It doesn't take big things to derail you. Sometimes one bad episode can sour your heart and your life will go on in a completely different trajectory from which it may never recover. Human history is littered with stories like that of people who did not take seriously the present day's battle for their heart. And they said, maybe tomorrow I'll deal with this bitterness. Maybe tomorrow I'll deal with this guilt. Maybe tomorrow. And tomorrow didn't come and their lives were written in a very different color of ink. Listen to me carefully. It is only the power and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that will allow any of us on our last days to be able to look at heaven and say in honesty, I actually fought the good fight. Life is a fight. Every day, you're going to have to battle to see God clearly down here.
And believe me, it's a race. You're not out for a morning stroll. This thing can only be done with great intention. Man, imagine if at the end of it all, by the grace of God, you are able to say, I kept the faith. May God allow that to be the testimony on all of our lips. Some of you are still, those of you in your 20s are looking at me like, what did this guy just say? This is like science fiction to you right now. But I promise you, you will be where I am in the blink of an eye. And I will be where others are before I even know what happened to me. May God rescue you from the smallness of life presented by our culture. May you open up the grandness of this great story so that you will spend your life running hard until the final buzzer and you pass that baton to the next generation. And you leave this place with honesty and integrity and to the glory of God. I invite you to bow your heads and just pray with me. You know, I don't want this message to come across as some very idealistic, rah-rah, inspirational speech. I really think that some of us this morning, right now, are in a battle for what our future and even what our twilight years are going to look like. The gospel is for you in your present struggle right now. And I know you may not feel like you've got the legs to finish this race, to keep the faith. Would you at least let God carry you when you feel like you've been crippled? The one thing you cannot do is just take the easy way out and stop. Many of us, there's a long distance still ahead. And if you will stay with God, if you'll trust Him, you will see things on this earth that will blow your mind. He will use you to accomplish things you never thought were possible. But it will be so easy for your whole life to just go another way. The span of one week, one month, one year of giving up. Let's push aside the plans to have a life of ease and leisure and comfort. Let's say, Lord, beginning today, teach me to walk and to run and to fight under your power. Let me live today the way that I'm going to die. Faithful. Trusting you. I think that's all I need to say. I'm going to turn you over to God. Now let's just go to him. Wherever your heart is, don't check out. Let's pray. Let's ask him to come and visit our hearts right now. Let's pray. Lord, it's just true that the sun will set on our days far sooner than we'll be ready. Life is so fleeting that in your word, you called it like the morning mist. 
here one second and just gone before we know what happened. Lord, make us wise. Wake us up while we still have the light of day. Help us today to trust you, to lean on you, to be carried by you, and to walk and fight and run in such a way that when it's all finished, we can say to you with honesty, we have kept the faith. It's so easy to quit, to carry us. Some of us today, our legs feel like they weigh a million pounds. And though we want to, we cannot move. So I pray today at this moment, you will carry the ones who just can't walk. And bring each of us in our church family to that point where in the end of days, we will know that we left it all on the field. We ran until the last buzzer rang. one day with great joy help us to hear from your very lips the words well done O good and faithful servant enter now into your master's joy and into your eternal rest we thank you Lord that you have met us while we were still alive claim now the rest of our days be our future Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.